is Bosley, I mean, is it kind of tongue-in-cheek? It is. It, it really is, I think, an, in, it encompasses what we are trying to do to encourage other women. Specifically, um, kind of where this came about, the story behind Boss Lady was, so I was personally doing a lot of this kind of coaching and encouraging and trying to create tools that other women could use in their own journeys and frankly had to call it something. But when looking across the spectrum of other people who were doing similar work, it was always their name followed by, you know, consulting or coaching or something of that nature. And it just was really important to me that this just wasn't a... Megan Stith thing. It wasn't about one person and also wasn't just about uh, an opportunity to, it was about an opportunity to own that insecurity, which the name Boss Lady, something that my coworkers have affectionately said, you know, hey, I'll have to check with the Boss Lady or I'll let you know when the Boss Lady gets here, uh, a term of endearment, but that every time I heard it, I hated it. It made me very uncomfortable because especially in my professional life, I've never seen myself that way. I've always seen myself as part of the team, the quarterback, but not the one in charge. So it was this moment where if I'm supposed to encourage other people to put themselves in positions that maybe aren't that comfortable or they don't feel natural in, what better way than to basically say, well, fine, I'll own this yeah. <laughs> and make it a little bit more personal. Yeah. And talking about female empowerment, do we really need female empowerment? Not really. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to Beth today. So it's funny that you brought that up earlier yes. about female empowerment. <laughs> I've just had that on my mind a little bit because, you know, I think that's important for people to realize is, um, you know, at least what we're here to do. And certainly I'd rather us be empowering women than nothing at all. But I think looking at this as something even bigger as to we already have this ability. How do we just make it more um, pronounced and easier for us all to take ownership of. For those who don't know, you're a veteran. Yep. And tell me about how you got into it, your so service. I um, was a freshman at Syracuse University. I was going to be a world famous broadcast journalist. Um, you're pretty close now. Right. I'm sitting next to one. I'm sitting next to one. Right. Um, and and Syracuse had one of the best broadcast journalism schools, still does, in the country. Um, so I went there, but my dad, you know, this, the bills started mounting up, and he said, you know, you're going to have to find a way to help pay, or you're going to have to come home, and we're going to have to look at Pitt or Penn State, which were both phenomenal schools, but I wanted to go to Syracuse. And I walked into the Carrier Dome, and somebody handed me a flyer that said some ridiculous amount of money for college, and it said Army ROTC. Um, and so I went, I would have been the last person you ever thought of if you had met me in high school that, if, you know, said that she was going to do something like that. And so the first year that I participated, I wasn't on scholarship, but I applied for a scholarship. So I had an Army ROTC scholarship the last three years of college, which um, helped finance that. And my hope was, because I was going to be a famous broadcast journalist, my hope was that I would go into the Army Reserve um, you know, and do the one weekend a month, two weeks in the summer, and I'd go work at a at a television station. In fact, I got a referral to little a little Rochester affiliate. Um, but the army said, "No, we paid for three years of college. You're going to come on active duty for at least four years, and you're going to go into the chemical corps." Um, and I hadn't had a science class other than biology in college. Like I hadn't there. I took a chemistry class in eleventh grade. 
Um, and so I was devastated. I'm like, this is nothing. I didn't want to do this. I can't believe it. You know, the indignation, even though they financed my college education. And I don't even know if it, that's what they call it anymore, but you help your unit prepare in the event of a new biological or chemical attack. So no big deal. No. <laughs> you, you plot downwind hazards. You put smoke out on the battlefield. I mean, so... And there are chemical units, but most of the time, chemical officers are assigned to other units, your support staff. Um, so I was going to do it for four years, and that was going to be it, and I was going to go pursue my journalism degree, and I just really kind of fell in love with it. Um, I was assigned to an engineer unit, which, um, you know, people who have familiarity with the army, I would say it's, it's as fairly close, um, to combat arms as you could get at that time. Maybe field artillery was a little bit closer. Um, and I didn't understand any of, any of that, but, um, I just really fell in love with the culture and the people and the mentorship and, and I had, a fantastic experience every almost every step of the way yeah there were some bumps in the road but so you know it, along the way and I was in for almost 13 years um, along that journey there's always these crosswords well am I gonna stay in or am I gonna get out um, and you know I went over 10 years so people I think some people thought I was crazy to exit but we had Derek and I had just gotten married he was gonna be deployed that was almost certain. Um, and then he actually, I think he left the army. He was offered a job back here and we just wanted to grow roots somewhere and spit in the same sink. Now we have his and her sinks. Um, right. And so it was, it was a decision I made that I don't regret. Um, you know, but I, I loved my time in the army. So and, and you said you weren't the type person like was, knowing you going into I wasn't athletic college. at all I wasn't in any, any sports teams like I'm so glad my kids are you know and have that but I was a bookworm I was mm -hmm. a nerd um so it's just not and I was quiet and very reserved very introverted shy I mean I had a nice circle of friends but mm -hmm. I wasn't I wasn't the big extrovert party person or anything like that well along those lines and I know that doesn't equate to a person being an introvert or an extrovert, but in your mind, you had these huge dreams to yeah. be in front of millions of people. It is weird, isn't is it? it? You know what I'm saying? That, yeah. it, that it doesn't line up no, with, doesn't. with what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's okay. It, I'm just trying to think, like, where did, where that, did, big, that, where did that big dream come from? <laughs> As a kid, you know, television, network television was so much... It, television was so important when I was younger. I mean, it still is, but it's not the same. Mm -mm. Local news was so much more important. And growing up in Pittsburgh, there was this this woman. Her name was Patty Burns, and I just admired her so much. Patty and Bill Burns. It was her dad. It was the Patty and Daddy show um, on KDKA. And it's the only affiliate this side of the Mississippi that starts with a K because they were mm -hmm. the first. Um, and so... In eighth grade, I did a career project, and I interviewed her on the phone. I had I had a cassette recorder, and the phone was sitting, like the phone receiver was sitting on there, and I recorded that, and I was on the phone downstairs, and I asked those questions. And I did this whole report on her, and then I ended up interning there in college, and I met her. Oh, that's fantastic. I feel like I need to, like, make a social media connection to be like, listen to this episode, and... <laughs> 
she how far you've come. She has since passed away. Oh, yeah. But you got to meet her, and I wonder what that was like for her. Like, well, if you were I to put yourself her, in, her, in her shoes I now, being a woman. her, I said, you know, you were my inspiration. You don't remember this, but when I was in, you know, eighth grade, I interviewed you um, on the phone, and she said, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, because there's a cynicism that you develop, I think, in the journalism field, right? A little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're a little, you have to die a little inside. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. keep going. <laughs> so I don't know what about it appealed to me, but it, I loved, um, I was like social studies and telling stories. So I think in the end, I got to still be a, to- a, a storyteller, mm-hmm. right? I got to do that ultimately in the Army, and now I get to do that every day for folks all over the region so I love that part of it and I love the the knowledge of just what was going on in the world and I liked your bravery too well of course you had to do it too otherwise you know you would have been AWOL but looking at something and saying I'm completely unqualified and and Megan and I talk about being unqualified yeah and who, who has the podcast? Yeah, Anna Ferris. Anna, so. Anna Ferris has a Anna podcast Ferris. called Unqualified, and, and that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, too. Yeah. She's like, I'm totally unqualified to be doing this, we but guess what? Like I'm doing it. When I w- went on to active duty, I was 22, and I'm plotting downwind hazards for chemical attacks. <laughs> and I, But I ended up doing really well because I always, I mean, I can't swear on a podcast, but <laughs> my dad, he's a real crass guy, but and he used to say, Beth Ann, if you're going to do... Don't don't do anything half. If you're gonna do it half halfway, you can say whatever you want. You're fine. If you're gonna do it half-assed, don't do it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and that's still true. Yeah, I mean, he ingrained that in me. So I ended up in that class. The only guy who was ahead of me was a chemical engineer. He had his PhD in chemical engineering. So somehow I got through all that. Um, But I remember being 22, 23 standing in the middle of the forest in the Pacific Northwest um, in the middle of the night with a smoke grenade um, getting ready to simulate a chemical attack on a squad coming through on what they call you know a field training exercise lanes exercise I'm (laughs) I'm holding candy because you know what do you do in the middle of the night when you're waiting to throw a smoke grenade you eat a Hershey Kiss I, rem- I can distinctly remember saying, what in the world am I doing here? Like, nobody else was around me. It was just me and my smoke grenade and some candy. That would so be me on the battlefield. I just love Just it. waiting for them to come to, to simulate that attack. I need a snack before we can get Right. Well, they call it, there's a word, I mean, the veterans who listen to this too, they call it pogey bait. So everybody went to the field with pogey bait. I don't even know where that came from, but you always had your, you had some pokey bait in your pocket to just kind of get you through because the food was gross. What I will say about the Army, it's incredible, it's, it's incredibly mentoring. Like, you know, everybody's there to help that next person along and train them and teach them. And if you want to learn, they're going to teach you and they're going to appreciate that. I never, ever felt limited. I always compared to any of my male counterparts or peers, never. I would say that I have faced more, experienced more sexism in the private sector than I ever experienced in the army. That's encouraging, actually. It is. Uh, uh, it's frustrating, though, too. <laughs> it, yeah. it is, <laughs> from the yeah. military point of view. So, yeah. But that's true. There's no news reports out there that say <laughs> sexism is on the rise in, in small workplaces. <laughs> it could be worse. It could be worse. That's yeah. true. It could be better. When you got out, how did you decide what you were going to do next? I had no idea. Um, I thought I was going to 
potentially go get a, a, a job on post um, because I had a lot of relationships on post and I thought maybe I could move into a, a GS position and so I started to prepare my resume that way. I wasn't sure. I knew I wanted to be home a little bit um, sometime with our first child, Amelia. Um, and um, it was about nine months after, Amelia was about nine months old. And well, I should say, let me, let me back up. I had an amazing, he's still my mentor today, um, Brigadier General retired Bob Gaylord. Um, and I met him here at Fort Knox and then I worked um, for him at the Pentagon. And when it was a really hard conversation to tell him that I was gonna leave because he was still in a leadership position and I was working for him. Um, but once I left, he was so supportive and he said, you're gonna go and you're gonna do this communications plan for this nonprofit in Washington, DC. I'm, I'm helping them too, but you're gonna write this plan because you need a resume bridge. So, I mean, there were, like, the mentoring never stopped, that those relationships continue today, that I can still reach back to them and say, am I doing this right? Does this make sense to you? I need your advice. And maybe for a little bit of a confidence boost, you know, even at my, at my age. Um, and so I was so glad he did that because that was still on there while I was looking. Like, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of time, but he just wanted me to do that. He wanted me to have that as a resume bridge. Um, and I never even knew that word. Um, mm-hmm. And so, anyway, um, some of you, you guys, I don't know, did you ever meet Conrad? I've met him in yeah. passing. Yeah. So He's hilarious. I feel like I know him. He's though. only occasionally <laughs> appropriate. Um, but he I was said about him. That Con- Kenny t- um, coined that term, but he was, uh, I worked for Conrad um, when I was assigned to Fort Knox at Recruiting Command. I worked for, th- I had three different bosses, but Conrad was my first boss. And, um, Speaking of boss lady, right? Yes. Um, boss man. Um, but he um, he had retired from civil service, and he was driving his wife crazy because um, he really didn't have a plan or any, what, he, what he was going to do for the day, and Cinder <laughs> couldn't tolerate that. And I was about ready to have some adult conversation. Um, I love being home with Amelia, but I also enjoy my professional pursuits. And, and he said, you know, you're kind of good at that PR thing, and I'm good at the advertising thing. Maybe people could use us. Maybe they need us. Let's just go ask folks if there's a need for these kind of services in the marketplace and if they think anybody would pay for it. Um, you know, because it's one thing to need marketing. It's another thing to pay for it. <laughs> oh, that's so Boy, true. that hits home big time. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and there's this expectation that things should be free oh, all the time. Please don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Living so, the life. So that was Conrad's idea. Um, and his wife was watching Amelia. And we had a meeting downstairs in this building. We, we got on Edith Dupin's calendar for what we were told. She didn't have a whole lot of time. But she spent two and a half, three hours with us, and she I, held court. She held. That's what Edith, Edith did. did. She, she held, held court. court, and I mean, she didn't know us from Adam. But so many times, she said, "Now this doesn't leave this room," which you know, God bless her. <laughs> yeah, I miss Edith, and you know, that's a boss lady that rubbed people the wrong way, and she got stuff done. She did. And, and and she did. But yeah, she, people had strong feelings. Yes, for sure. Or one way or the other. One way or the other. Yeah, but she said that young man, Brad Richardson, he's starting this military one knocks thing. He's gonna need some help. And, um, and she said, you need to get in touch with him. So I called Connie Shaffrey, who was the PAO at Fort Knox, and she gave me Brad's phone number. And the rest is kind of history. 
you know, um, we sat down with him. He needed people who could speak Army um, and who were communicators, and we happened to be both. So, you know, Mark Rado, uh, one of my bosses, used to say... We call it Life of Rado. Like, if, if you follow Mark Rado on Facebook, it's a beautiful thing. He would, He always <laughs> said, Beth, luck and timing are everything. And, um, Look and timing. He, yeah, you know, and, and you know, and it's incredibly blessed, no doubt about it. But I mean, for that to have happened in this community at that time, and us to go out and explore this, and that just kind of all, you know, come together, and and our first contract was for thirty hours a month with Brad. It was just, it was. It was very small, and it just grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And, and but it, with Amelia at that point, it was perfect. It, that's what you needed. Yeah, and time. then one knocks. I was, I mean, for some of that, I was pregnant with Vivi. And that's when I met you, actually, yeah. when you were promoting one knocks. Mm-hmm. And I think too, that leads into how a person can become a brand. And so there for a while until I got to know you a little bit better. Everybody thought we were one knocks. Exactly. Yeah. And and it was difficult, and and it's. It's hard for everyone to separate well, brand from person. I think um, at first it was it was a little bit challenging, you know, in terms of generating new business opportunities. But one Knox led to Wire sixty five, which led to Kicks, and then there were a whole lot of other doors that were opened, um, and Wear Opportunity Knox, and some other things. So. But we, I think as an organization, Heartland, we like to fly under the radar. We don't, I, I think it's a compliment when somebody thinks that I work for Burnham, because I do, right? Or that we work for the various organizations um, that we work for and have the privilege of helping to tell their story in this region, in this community. Um, we really want to function as an extension of their staff. So it may be counterintuitive in terms of business development, but it served us well, you know, to kind of fly under the radar. And speaking of that, that model is different than one knocks. So one thing that we talk about is um, getting over that hump of starting something new and it having longevity yeah when you go into do you when you start a project do you does it have an outline do you have a roadmap or do you fill in do you get a creative muse how does that process work oh it depends on what the client needs okay yeah but i mean with heartland communications you know what i'm saying like the found i'm talking about your own companies not what you do for other people right i'm talking about your startups oh we had no idea we just came up conrad and i just kind of came up with the name we had no idea and it's it was the, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculously long name. We had the worst URL. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no clue. We didn't have any. It was the same kind of like, well, just not our names. Yeah. <laughs> just not our names. Yeah. Pick something else. If I knew then what I knew now, I, I don't know that I would have called it that. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I mean, I, I love it. I love HCC. So, but, you know, in terms of, I mean, poor Joe and Kenny and having to say the URL, luckily they got a. Team HCC one that they can use for short. So well, this is your chance to plug. What's the URL? The long one. Oh gosh, <laughs> you don't want it. Our next episode, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? Heartland. It's heartlandcommunicate dot com, but it's okay. not communications. It's not communicates. It's communicate. So yeah, heartlandcommunicate dot com. Let's go all the way back to little Beth in childhood. Who were your mentors growing up? Mm. I know we talked about the lady on TV. 
Yeah. But oh, my dad for sure. Okay. I mean that that I mean he is he certainly made me who I am. I'll get choked up talking about him. Um, and my grandmother, whew, and um, my great aunt. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of us have been inspired by our grandmothers and the time they grew up in and their tenacity. Yeah. Well, my sure. and my great aunt and my grandmother are the best. I mean, they were the best of friends. They're sisters, but so different. You know, my grandmother was a homemaker, and my my aunt Rena is she is my original mamapreneur. I mean, she was bringing home the bacon long before that was common, and she's known throughout. Um, Western Pennsylvania as the cake lady. Um, and so, you know, she she had a commercial kitchen in her basement and she made these incredible wedding cakes and I every one of my birthday cakes and biscotti that has saved helped me get promoted. I'm <laughs> sure of it. Um, and she was there when I was promoted to major, she put on my rank. Um, she's just a remarkable woman. So and she's She's 93, and she's in a nursing home now, so but I got to see her when I was home in October, but she's, um, you know, just incredible, incredibly successful, will do anything for family, loves life, loves to laugh, just just an amazing woman. Or like that mamapreneur. Yeah. She, yes. That's, and, and I think that sounds, as you're describing the qualities that she has, I see so much of that in you. Hmm. So do you feel like um, mentoring is something now that you are doing for other people like they did for you? I hope so. I don't know how successful I'm at. You have to ask the folks that I get have the privilege of working with every day at Heartland. I do know that when um, I was at the Pentagon working at Army Public Affairs, we always hosted an Indiana University intern and um, and Department of the Army interns. Like Ryan Bruce was a Department of the Army intern. I didn't get. To, I wasn't there when he went through. But um, John, I can't even think his last name, who managed the program, always paired them up with me. I guess I just I enjoyed that. I enjoyed working with them and and spending time with them and and you know getting to know them and hopefully helping them. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I love. Um, I'm such a civilian. <laughs> I love the professionalism that I always I admire that like you mentioned Connie Shaffery. Oh my god. Connie Shaffery was such a when I moved here, I was in my early 20s and she was such a big unintentional mentor she for is me to this day. And the discipline and Ryan Bruce and the same thing, professionalism under extreme pressure. Mm. Y'all don't sweat. You know what I'm saying? Or you can't see it anyway. And and I love that quality to be able to say, we have a we have a problem. Okay, let's handle it. Let's go figure it out. It's a po- what's her name from Scandal? Oh, my Olivia Pope. Olivia yes. Pope. Olivia. I've yes. been watching YouTube snippets of Olivia Pope, and she's, she's like badass. Inspiration. Yes. Well, I see a lot of that too in Bad Bend, just how you handle things, which is you know it is very. I can see the under the radar of. You know, you see the quality and, and the things that come out of your firm, but uh, how the sausage is made. <laughs> I haven't on the other side enough to know there is sausage making that you don't always want to see exactly what that process looks like. And you actually know that because you run a forum. Yeah, so, so. like actually have made sausage <laughs> too. So as a certified sausage maker, I guess, um, you know, right. I can attest to that. But, um, you know, communications, you know, this is, this is tough work that... While you can get a degree, um, I'm sure a lot of this you've just had to have a gut instinct for. 
because uh, some of this is it's just hard to know how you mm-hmm. jump into it without. Well, I think I've been fortunate in surrounding myself with people that kind of have that gut instinct too. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was necessarily me. I'll take credit for, <laughs> for, you know, to some degree to having the the privilege of working with these folks that I get to every day and how innovative they are and forward thinking they are. Um, you know, but yeah, I think some of it is your gut. What's your gut say about this person or that person or what will the client think of this or how will this go? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And along those lines, um, we were talking before we started boss lady and you said you don't like the word boss no. or boss lady. Why? Why don't you like the word boss? I think it's applied to women so much. Like that word bossy. Bossy. Or, um, yeah. Tina Fey's book, yeah. Bossy, yeah. which bossy. talks a lot. Bossy yeah. Pan <laughs> talks a lot about that. Yeah. And again, that's that's tongue-in-cheek as well. Um, so even though you were a creator of HCC, how do you see the people? Because you say people that you work with. I don't like do the word see? employee either. Okay. Yeah. What I do mean, you like? What teammate, colleague? Okay. Yeah. You know, and then um, I mean, I, I think if somebody wants to, Kenny and I talked about it. If you want to talk to talk to me about the con- in the context of being a co-founder, um, absolutely. Um, and I'm one of three managing partners. Um, so yeah, but. I I don't know. I think the word boss has negative connotations, mm-hmm. um, especially for women, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you come in and you do this work, mm-hmm. what's, your, what's your end game? What's your goal? What do you want? I want to provide value to our clients. Okay. Yeah. I want to make sure that what we're doing is – if you're not providing value, then why are they paying us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I want to make sure that the work we're doing provides value um, and try to be as proactive as possible. Sometimes that's hard. It is. And yeah. in the military, you and you're right, you're really fortunate hearing your story. Now, you did the hard work, too, and employed confidence, but at the same time, you were in an environment where people were encouraging you to think for yourself Mm -hmm. and to be creative Mm -hmm. and to problem solve. And you wouldn't think that in the, right? You would think the military is so regimented. They need to put that on their posters or something. Or their veterans or entrepreneurs because you have to problem solve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, and I also had some, I think some, very good bosses, I guess, if you want to call that, <laughs> you know, my, the, the folks that I reported to my, who I was subordinate to, um, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they gave me the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a, it seems to me, and you're very appreciative of it, that that was a huge factor in you taking some of the risks that you've taken and saying, okay, you know what, let's try this. We don't necessarily know what we're doing, but not not terrified. There are so many people that contact us and that we have conversations with. They won't do anything. I was having a conversation with somebody today. They won't do anything. They're like, well, I'm not ready yet, or I'm afraid that I don't know how to blah, blah, blah. And I said, just do it. And I said, the future belongs to the doers. Yes. And that's Feel what... Fear and do that yeah. And... and I think the braver entrepreneurs are the ones who don't, like, I was fortunate. My husband, it was and is employed, you know. I mean, so what I was stepping out and doing, and I didn't have, we didn't need any startup capital. I mean, I think, you know, 
the, those who step out there and do that without that mm-hmm. safety net of having a spouse who is employed, who has health insurance, it's it's really hard right it now. Um, and, or, and, you know, if they need startup capital and trying to find it, I mean, that's, that's challenging. I think a lot more challenging than, than I've had to go through. So I don't want to, yeah, I think my circumstances created, help create that opportunity. Well, if somebody's listening right now and say they're in leadership, Mm -hmm. what would you say to them to give those opportunities to someone working in being a, a colleague or working in their workplace toward their vision, what things are in place that empower people to do that? I think um, the freedom to fail, right? I mean... You hear that a lot in Silicon Valley. Yeah. But I don't hear it in other places. Yeah. And like it's this innovative thing to, mm-hmm. to be given permission to fail. Yeah. I mean, I think we want to give folks... A, <laughs> I say that. I mean, it, I I want to make sure that when we give folks, there's enough to help them succeed. But if they make a mistake, it's not the end of the world, and they can learn from it, and we can grow from it. They have a parachute. Yeah. <laughs> They're not just jumping on the plane without anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, I think the other thing that I think about in sort of stepping out and doing this is, I did get to do a lot of what I do here in my my very last job in the army which you know and I had a a boss who said you know we're going to go tell the army story and I want to tell this story but then you go figure out how to do it and and we just all did it and we thrived on that you know so that the creativity the collaboration and the freedom to do that um so and we were we were responsible for everything, but had authority over nothing, you know, in some ways, and had to scrounge for dollars here and there to make things happen. But um, you know, so having the freedom to map it out, um, we had, you know, I think there's a new member of our team, and she's putting together some video content, and we wanted her to create that. What does that look like? Map that out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's the advantage of having a new team member too, mm-hmm. is to have a little trust and let them go out on the high wire for a second and bring all all these wonderful things that they have inside them and, and inspire them to to let it out as opposed to feeling just fearful all the time that yeah. that they're going to do the wrong thing. There's going to be a misstep. Or I think there's a lot to, to be said in your work culture too. Oh yeah. Your team HCC mm-hmm. has, it appears to be anyway, has a very cohesive yeah. um, unit happening, but you're all very individualistic at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a hive mind. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that is not, that's not typical. We value our culture. Um, and we know it's pretty unique. In fact, it's probably why we were so deliberate and slow in making hiring decisions, you know, because, um, we really haven't had any in the 10 plus years. And other than them when they moved and even those who are moved are still working for us. We haven't anybody leave. Um, that speaks volumes. I hope so in this, in this day and age. 
you know, so, um, so it's very deliberate in terms of who we bring on. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, I think you're also very uh, family friendly. Yeah. We, I mean, we were born out of the ability to be able to run your kid to carpool or, or, (laughs) you know, um, I mean, people along the way gave me an opportunity if I was nursing to go pump. Right. I mean, um, I can remember all the different stops on one knocks. I'd, I'd be the bag lady and they carry that. Now you're going to make me cry. Yeah. That was tough coming back to work and just feeling really self-conscious yeah. about it. And so I stopped. I can remember. Because my, I just felt so self I could have gone longer, but. I, I, arrived, I, I remember every time I arrived at ECTC, Mary Jo would come get me and she'd take me to your office and she'd take care of that. And all along the way. On each one of those stops, I mean, can you joke, there should be a Google map for pumping stations, right? There should be. Somebody needs to create that app. I'm yeah. Just so. <laughs> Everyone has an office, but if anybody's listening and doesn't know where to go. They can pump at your office. We can, uh, we can talk. <laughs> it's so important, and I think, you know, we don't talk enough about these kinds of things, about what we want in terms of that environment and what kind of bosses we want to work for. While we're on that topic of bosses and language, uh, you know, what scares me a little bit is how much now we're pushing kids and the next generation of workers into the pipeline of pathways. And I totally get why we need those positions and I get why the logic behind starting to get folks ready to, to go onto those careers at a younger age. But you don't hear these conversations much about thinking through what kind of environment, what kind of boss, and how to look for that. I know the things that you're trying to work on, I mean, it's so different, you know, like in the manufacturing setting, but I mean, here, you know, if we got to go get kids from carpool, we go do that. And then we come back. Nobody's, as long as the work's done, we don't care what time necessarily people get in or leave or... I mean, and we just, we go take care of clients and add value. I just don't understand, I guess it's that logical part of my brain where I'm like... How do you trust people to work for you if you have to stand there and watch mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's every minute? Approach. And it's like, you know, it's, if, if that's the level where you don't feel like you can give people that flexibility to make decisions and exercise their judgment, then you probably shouldn't employ them yeah. if it's at that level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I've just never quite understood that. I read an article the other day that talked about it, it leaving loudly. Yeah, it, it was. I think it was in Forbes. Yeah, and I think it, we posted that on the page too. If anybody looks for it, we'll get it up there. And I've been doing it, and it's marvelous. And I'm like, it's car, it's a car rider line time, which I just love, by the way. Um, <laughs> Most people don't. <laughs> anyway, no, not really. Yeah. Um, I'm working on that. I'm trying to be more productive during car rider line. Time. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. Um, but that whole culture of being ashamed to leave, not yeah, like like slinking out, and I don't feel like I have to do that. But there are some workplaces where apologizing, yeah, sorry, and unfortunately, I don't have to do that. I do have, to have some flexibility there. But now, but I just tried it. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it, and it's one of those things. It's like, all right, see you later. I'm gonna go take care of this priority in my life. Because I can do that and balance my work too. But it's a not lot a huge of people deal. don't have that flexibility. No, they don't. Yeah. I'm really fortunate. And I will say that the army was bad about that. Um, it bred, it breeds a culture of how late can I stay? Um, like kind of that. I used to call it five oh six. The army, the army, mar- the <laughs> army martyrdom mentality. Like, oh, I stayed till seven last night. Oh, I stayed till nine. Oh, I stayed till eleven. Oh, my oh. eyes are rolling so oh. hard right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That culture drives me 
crazy. If you were, if you were a person that was not good at creating work-life balance, the army was could let you go full bore <laughs> into that. And I knew that. I knew that, and I knew that was something I I didn't want. You know, now maybe they're not. It's not as bad as it once was. And I do remember having, you know, one of the senior commanders made a point of leaving at four thirty or leaving at five because he wanted people to know it's okay to leave. Exactly, and setting I'm that gonna, example. I'm going to go be with my family. Yeah, leaving loudly. <laughs> leaving loudly. Yeah, and he would, I can, yeah, he would do that. And I thought that's cool, you know, mm-hmm. because so many didn't. So. Well, I know you weren't super, super excited dancing when <laughs> about doing this. No, I wasn't. Because <laughs> I'm an you. introvert. Yeah. You are, you. but you have a lot of knowledge oh, to in, to impart to people. And for me, um, my motivation is to educate myself and other people. And this is a way that we can do that. And so we're, we're connecting people that have good advice, um, good policies in their workplaces, and I just, I do, I really like the culture here. And I would love to see more people in leadership listening to this take have some takeaway yeah. from what we talked about today. Well, there's a lot of great leaders in this community. So, you know, there really are that have a lot of great professional development opportunities in all of their companies. So, um, you know, I am, I'm proud of what we have here and I love the culture that we have. So, so thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. Not boss. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I definitely appreciate uh, Beth because this was, we've done some awesome interviews so far with our guests, but I will say this was what I was nervous about because interviewing a communications professional, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, thank you for putting us at ease and just sharing. I, you know, again, thought I knew a lot about you, but uh, it really does help when we can break down these walls and have conversations that you know might not be as suited for some of the networking things and kind of out and about running around that so many of us do so thank you for being willing to talk with us and get a little more personal and uh, really just can't wait to see what big things are ahead for you and the firm and all of the work that you're doing thanks